0: So guys, welcome back to another episode of the Ike MMA podcast, the Ike MMA MMA show. And I'm here with MMA fighter, now Niall Wilson, who is due to be stepping into the cage again at the IUR championships, IUR fighting championships on June the 4th. And they are going to be fighting, uh, what's his his name? Conor McCarthy? Conor McCarthy. Um, so look, man, how are you? How are you feeling?
1: Good. Um, nice and fresh anyway it's a lot different from the last one anyway so far you know last one we have four weeks notice so so was a depletion cut straight away yeah,
0: Where's this, my... time...
1: was... this one now you're good at this one uh, i've got a bit of a longer time so you know we're a more relaxed mentally coming on towards this for the weight cut mm-hmm. and i can come on a bit bigger as well so i can eat and enjoy my food yes absolutely definitely mm. <laughs>
0: um I saw that fight, um, with you and his name is, I think his name is Frederick, it's like a Scandinavian name or so. Yeah,
1: Norwegian, I guess High Fighter or something, I'm I'm not too sure, but all along those
0: lines anyway. Watching that fight, you, you see, well to me anyway, cause I'm still, I still class myself as a novice, even as a fan of the sport, I still class myself as a novice fan. Um, you seem to be like, you know, a really well-rounded fighter, your ground game was really, really good because yeah. the fight stayed in the ground for for a good chunk of the time.
1: Yeah. Um, for me, so I sort of obviously I started at a young age. I started in different sports like karate and boxing and things like that. So I've never been a stranger towards stand-up sports, but I was predominantly a grappler. I sort of st- I took a step back from. I began wanting to fight in MMA when I was a young teenager, and then it sort of. I started finding success in grappling and wrestling and BJJ, So I sort of pursued down that path for a while and just pursued a passion really. And so mm-hmm. you know, the way I am now, especially with mixed martial arts and the sport that is now and with me looking to turn professional within the next year it's you have to be well rounded. You have to you have to know at least be proficient, if not have some sort of proficiency on the feet on the wrestling against the cage and on off on your back and on top, you know. That's the way I say it, is You have to be sort of plugging every hole that you can. And it's it's finding problem solving. Then you know, trying to find the areas in which he's weakest in, and then attacking them. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. You know, um, looking at the looking at how um you guys are performing in the cage. I, I always say, that, I mean, if I in uh, a fight to shoes competing, um, I, I would say that I think ground game is a lot harder than stand up because stand up can get away with a kick if it's hard enough or we'll knock the opponent out, a flying yeah. knee or a, a or a strike. But with the mm-hmm. ground game, you've really, really got to um, be tactical and know what you're doing to come out with a win.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, the, you know, the old saying, punchers chance. You know, it, it, there's a reason that there's a saying, a cliche in any sport. You know, anybody since, since you're growing up, you know, you don't even have to be of combat sports. You know, if you're fighting on the street or your young kid who gets on the conflict and you're out swinging hands. So anybody in the world knows how to throw a punch. Now, obviously there's a difference between knowing how to throw a punch and being a top world class striker in any sport. What the point does is, is that everyone's always got a pointer's chance. It's a lot easier to catch someone with a lucky strike than it is someone to go out and out grapple or a world class grappler or go out and jump them levels with ungrappling, you know? Um
0: so I always if you watch my my uh, past episodes, um yeah. I always ask um the person that I'm interviewing, um, what I know I like to take things back to the beginning. what you know, where did your love for the sport, where did it start from? How did you get involved in the sport?
1: Yeah, so um, I started again as a young teenager um, when UFC used to be on like Bravo TV. Oh, this was really like back in the dark days of MMA, you know, it was just starting to come on the <laughs> lights and yeah. it was, uh, well, sort of two ways. Um, I had a my cousin, uh, an older cousin, and he showed me pride and it was all home videos that he was getting. And you no, know, it wasn't many, but I, I remember just seeing, I'm not sure if it could have been one of the Gracie's or it could have been one of the Japanese, but I remember seeing a guy in a gi fighting in a ring and they were, they were fighting, fighting, you know, it wasn't WWE that I grew up watching, it was really fighting like, and then a couple of years later, sort of around the same time the two were merging, but uh, me and my friends, you used to stay in my friend's house and things like, and just one day flicking through the TV and, uh, it became on, it was UFC and it happened to be, I think it was Randy Couture and Chocolate Ale. And that was one of the earliest sort of fights that we had seen when Matt Serra and GSP were having their fights. And, you know, there was a lot of guys around then, you know, um, or Matt sorry, And even you know, Matt Serra was around, BJ Penn, James Pulver. A lot of those earlier guys, like. And then just, as I say, from then on, and I was a bigger kid. I was heavier. and I got bullied a lot at school, you know, with glasses and red hair and, you know, being fat and things like that. So there was a lot of targets. And then I would see a guy like Chuck O'Dell going on with a big belly. And he's stolen boy. So my thought was, like, if he can do it, then, why couldn't I do it, you know, I could go and train and be like someone like him, and then I found the sport, again through that older cousin, Um, he agreed to coach me after a while, and then I just I sort of fell in love with the grappling aspect of it, and that's when I started to like pursue that, and we went to Brazil, and we trained in Brazil, and we were out there training, and we were offered a fight back here in Leather Kenny and Derry, or Donegal, so we took the fight, and that, that started the, really the the mixed martial arts side of things again then, and then. For a lot of the time in my early 20s, I was bouncing, bouncing between the two and dealing with injuries. So I'd be competing high-level in BJJ, you know, trying to go and compete in like national tournaments and compete even at Europeans and things like that there if I could. And then at the time then, I was taking fights whenever I was healthy or when I was training properly for them. And over the last four or five years now, I've just sort of dedicated solely to you know, mixed martial arts. I would still jump on the no-gi competitions and things like that. And, I will still jump back on the BJJ wearing the gi and I'll always wear the gi because it's sort of like a, a first loaf, if you will. Yep. But the way I am is I want to pursue this as a dream and pursue this pathway as something that I want to do I'm much more slurge, you know.
0: That's uh, I, I like that because, uh, clear there's a big story behind uh, where you're coming from. Yeah. And um, I, I love the fact that you actually travelled all the way to Brazil, which is like the, let's say the motherland of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. So I think I probably explains to you someone like myself, kind of a, let me say, it hints as to why your grand game is, is so good like it is.
1: Yeah, so we were there, uh, with my old team, we went twice. Uh, we went out to Brasilia, in the capital, and we trained with a guy called Alessandro Chirudo, and just the exposure to that high level. you know, We were training on the mats, and back in the time in Ireland, you were lucky to have maybe eight or nine black belts in the whole of the country. And when we were rolling during the days and the night times, there was at least 10 on the mat every time. So I was a white belt the first time we went out. And 90% of the roles that I had, the spars that I had out there, was, were with black belts. And even they sit and watch them boys go against each other. When you seen two black belts going against each other in Ireland, they were usually organized or paid, or they were meeting at a top level of competition. So it was all eyes on it, whereas this was just a common occurrence out there. And then that really shot my game up and, it exposed me to a higher level of training and a higher level of, of performance. And then by the second time we went out it was the same thing. You know, you're going out and you're meeting new guys again and they're even better again and you know, it's just trying to keep that ball, that momentum going and understanding as I say it helps mentally as well. You know, a lot of them guys, you know, you're really you're going out there and you're being put under pressure and you know, they're really sort of draining sessions and they're mentally fortifying sessions. But when you come back here that's what they that's where you get the mental mental strength from. Um a lot of people with you know, they would get taken down and they get put it under their back. And in MMA, a lot of people just want to sort of get up or get out of the way and get on top, whereas I'm happy to fight off my back as well. I know I'm de- just as dangerous off my back as I am on my feet. You know, I'm just I'm not there to like lie there and try and submit so or try and sweep me. I'm there to try and submit so and I'm constantly throwing stuff up for you to defend and I'm just not letting you breathe. I'm trying to keep a high pace on the whole time and that's where that comes from. You know, that Brazilian style of training, that Brazilian style of rolling and sparring.
0: Um and I I try not to pry too much, but um in terms of you know it's a brutal sport and as well as you're dishing out the offensive the attack onto your opponent even whether you're competing or sparring and training, yeah. um of course unfortunately you have to take some abuse in return. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um that's as in. Family-wise, they've never been concerned about your health, especially about you taking lots of um, abuse and sustaining injuries yeah. to your head. No one's ever as in talks you out of the sport at all.
1: Um, to be honest, a, a lot of at the time. Um, so when I went, to, I went to university um, about 19, 20 years of age. I tried to go to Liverpool. I was going to go to John Muir University, and just a few weeks on, it's just I realised that just education wasn't for me. So I decided that. I was trying to pursue a, a course in uh, psychology, to go into sports psychology, but it just became a thing then that I was missing the training, I was missing my teammates and my team and just that everyday life of, you know, what, the, what pursuing a sport, pursuing a real passion, you know, yeah. and I talked with my parents and obviously, you know, they had their concerns and even to this day, my grandmother, you know, she still always says to me, even though I'm doing well, she still, you should give up that fighting. You know, they never, they never liked it because they're always concerned with safety. You know, but they obviously love they see me doing well and I'm all, like, that's the thing about it. As much as they joke about me giving it up and it's just concern to safety, they'll always support me. You know, like, yeah. my family are my biggest fans in terms of they're always there to support and they're always asking me how I'm doing. They're always showing up to fights and of course they're always going to have their concerns. To be honest, yeah. if I was a parent, a Max Martial Arts would probably be the last thing I want my child to pursue, but yeah. they understand that I'm following a dream and they understand that I'm trying to, you know, create a path that's never sort of been walked. And, you know, as I say, they're fully supportive in that sense. My mother, she comes to all the fights, but even she'll say it, she'll come watch all the fights, but she stands covering her eyes when I'm fighting. And now mm-hmm. she's a wee bit more relaxed. Wow. She used to stand and cover and get their friends to cover on the wow. front, but she's okay now. Like, she's she's more comfortable with it now, you know.
0: She'd rather see just the end results of you winning, but she doesn't want to see what, what's That's going on. She'd rather hear it.
1: She'd rather oh, just yeah. hear it and be there for it, you know, whereas even now... They're more relaxed. My, my father was the same. You know, he was sort of against it at the start. And more, I again. Mean, they're just worried about safety. You know, no no parent wants to see their child going on their cage. And especially when they don't really know the sport themselves. Yeah. You know, you're going on. Like my first show, there was guys getting knocked out and getting head kicked and things like that before my fight. So obviously my parents were like, Jesus, we didn't know it was going to be this brutal, this violent. like, this.
0: <laughs> yes, Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, and then, as I say, you know, that's always the way it is. But they're grand now. They're my biggest fans. Like, and they're the biggest supporters I have. You know, um,
0: obviously they go to see and see you fight cage side, so they'll be inside the venue. Yeah. Um, I did that about a month ago, um, on behalf of someone else to, to um, into a fighter on behalf of, of another podcaster. And yeah. I have to say that up until that point, that was my first cage side event watching a fight live. Up until that point, I only watched um Clan Wars, Cage Warriors, UFC, Bellator, so ONE Championship, um and PFL and the, the other promotions. But I'd only watched them on TV on on YouTube. Yeah. There's a big, big difference in watching watching the show through a screen, basically, and mm. you actually being cage side and watching. There's a massive difference.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, being on the atmosphere is a, a big difference. You know, you sort of, you feel you feel the same tension. You know, everybody's on that wave Everybody's up at height and sort of sense. It's it's a unique old feeling like when you're on there and you know, even being out like I've had to watch a few teammates and different people in my life that were fighting and I've said it before of like I would rather be the one on the cage dealing with the emotions than be outside the cage having the no control over the outcome, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard that way like
0: So your fight on June fourth, um how is um how how are things going? I think you said because we're we're still in like the middle of April now and June's some time yeah. away um how 's the fight going how's your diet going how's the training going
1: um so I had a hundred me there for the last fight, so I've just sort of been rehabbing that and sort of trying to keep it make sure it does 't sort of do any more lasting damage and this week, I was able to get back in and begin the real training and dieting and things like that so all sort of it 's been all steam ahead since well, full steam ahead since Monday and for me mentally and physically and um it's just trying to keep the momentum going from where we were from the last fight and trying to keep it rolling through. Obviously the four weeks off, we would lose a wee bit of the sharpness that we would have had coming on, but we can get that back within a week or two weeks. As I say, I'm doing this since I'm 18, nineteen, so it's just an hour, it's an hour walking apart for me in terms of fight camp. You know, it's just an hour thing. The fight, of course, will never be. that's the way they are. People are training when we take their head off, so it's never a walking apart, but I'm going do my best to make sure it's as easy and straightforward as I can for the fight. Uh, the weight, the weight's perfect. You know, I'm trying to get down to 70 kilo. That's the weight I want to fight at. That's lightweight. But I was asked by a promoter. I was contacted and they offered me a title fight at 75. And obviously, I'm, I'm going to take a title shot. Like I want to try and fight the good boys, fight the real tests. And I know Connor's a game opponent. He's got a good load of ones. He's four and one there. He's deserving of a title shot himself. So I'm happy to go on there. We'll see what happens. You know, should be a good fight, mate. Um.
0: There's something that I've kind of learned before I've heard it on uh, more than one occasion, but let me stop asking. Um, when it comes to making weight, so the, it's the, a title um, about that's going to be taking place in June 4th. Um, yeah. so making weights, uh, 70 kg are you having to, I'm mean, assuming so you have to cut where you have to lose the extra as in, uh, fat. And you, you've done that before?
1: The, I've never cut down to 70 kilo yet. Oh, so right. this one. This was where I was looking. I only have a few, as I say, I'm looking to turn professional in the next couple, like next year, couple of fights. So I want to try and get, I fought at Welderweight for five fights, and that last fight was at 73. So that was my way of bridging the gap down to lightweight. Whereas this one, there, as I say, I wanted to try and get myself matched with an R70-kilo fighter. But Becky, the promoter, offered us a shot at 75. And of course, you're not going to turn down a title fight just to fight for a, a standard lightweight fight. You know, I can always make the weight down. I would rather go and, as I say, test myself against someone at 75, and then we can look at we can look at the lightweight fights later in the future at the 70 kilo mark. I've never done it, but no one be making the 73 kilo mark from where I made it. And mm. once you sort of know your body after you know a few cuts and a few different diets and hard you know, hard sessions and that and hard camps in that sense, then. You start to understand what you can and can't do and I know I yeah. can make the lightweight mark comfortably and I know I could be coming on a big, big lightweight. But for this one I'll I'll do my best to maintain my size and try and come on around the welterweight mark, come on at 75 for the weigh-in, and then be around the 80, 83 mark. You know, that's the plan anyway.
0: You've never had to cut so much weight that when I've heard some stories that you have to lose so much, uh, so much yeah. weight whether it's fast or water that to the extent that it's, it looks and it feels quite extreme um, I, I have seen some situations or weigh-ins at the UFC in particular whereby um, they've made the weight and they're doing the weigh-ins a day or so before the actual fight night fight day yeah. and I've seen some, some of the females and males they collapse off yeah. the guys because they've lost so much weight I've heard some situations whereby the fighters have lost so much body weight they can hear their brain vibrating <laughs> in their skull yeah. that was a new one for me I was shocked when I heard that I mean is mm. that? I mean, is that something you would do more than once? I mean, because it seems so extreme and even probably fatal for the body.
1: Yeah, that's that's the point. And um, even there, like for that last fight, I cut from whatever happened that I I tried to use, do my bass the night before and we sort of messed the cut a wee bit. It was from my own sort of bad preparation. But whatever way it happened with the bass, I woke up heavier the hour and later. So I had to cut eight kilo, which is about sixteen pound, maybe seventeen pound. And um, it wasn't, it wasn't to the extreme as you're saying where, you know, I didn't feel any sort of, felt drained, obviously because I'm dehydrated and I'm, the, your body only wants to drink the water, you know, and I'm using the different weight and cup methods and things like that. But if I ever, me made my coach had a talk about it and I was starting to get to that point where I was like, look, I don't know if I can get much more off here. And I did get the weight off and he just said to me, well, look, the minute you start to feel unhealthy, then just stop. You know, it's not worth it. And for me, the way I look at it is, I've never got to the point where that's mad about hearing their brain and things like that. And I've heard boys saying about that before, but it's never got to that point for me. And if it ever does, I would just go up the weight class. I would rather, I would rather eat and gain the muscle and be a, a bigger welterweight because I've had five fights at welterweight anyway. I'm six one. I've got the frame to be a welterweight if I just added the muscle. So it's not a case of I'm too small for a division. It's just that I would rather come down and be at my natural weight rather than have to take a year out and bulk up as I'm moving up and things like that. But as I say, if I ever got to a point where it was unhealthy, really unhealthy, then I would just stop. If it's the point of dehydration and smart weight cuts and if you use the right methods with the right professionals around you, then you'll make the weight in a scientific manner, you know, and you won't have to push them extremes. But what I think happens a lot of the time at the top weights or at the top Top leagues, UFC, PFL, Bellator, is guys are looking for any sort of one percent advantage they can get, and that is, you know, a lot of the case, they're trying to cut that extreme weight just to get down towards the lower weights, and it's just not worth it. I know they're making money, but you know, nobody knows what sort of damage this is doing in the long term. Nobody knows what damage that concussion blow can do. You know, we've seen it with Darren Till when he was down at welterweight; he was getting knocked out by Masvidal, and Masvidal's, a, you know, blown-up lightweight at times. So it's just not worth the concussion blow. And that's the way I would look at it. You know, I would rather be at the peak of my performance, getting under the fight, and being beat, knowing that I gave it to me all, rather than coming out and going, oh, "I should have not. I should have cut the weight. Oh, I'm cutting too much, and haven't they learned that way? Because it's a steep learning curve. If you're going to go on there and get knocked out, and realize then that you shouldn't be done at that weight class, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you, you touched on the UFC that I would like to ask you something about that a little bit later. Um, yeah. now your opponent, um. Connor, you guys are almost evenly matched in terms of your records. Yeah. Um, what do you make of him? Like I see your ground game is really, really good. And, you know, if someone's ground game, I think is is good, is really good, probably as good as their stand up, then I think they've got a big, big advantage over someone who probably is just good on their fees.
1: Yeah. Um, for me, firstly, I respect Connor as an opponent. He's, he's, he's a test. That's one of the reasons this fight attracted attracting me anyway, was, obviously if it hadn't been for a belt I would have just said look I'm looking at say 70 kilo matchup but I'm interested in the matchup even as we have a title shot on the line you know he's a good fighter he's dangerous, he's got power and he seems to be a good wrestler and things like that obviously I'll have the advantage and experience on the ground and to me as I say I respect him this isn't disrespectful they say but in my opinion anyway I feel I'm too experienced for him across the board, you know I've been about this sport probably since Connor before I even knew what it was you know, and I've been doing this ten, eleven 11 years, and for me it's, it's a case of everybody's got a chance, and my, my preparation on this fight now over this next 8, 9 weeks, even if it's set, 6 or 7 weeks, is to make sure that I minimise his chance of winning. Minimise his chance of, you know, catching me with a big blow or catching me with a lucky thing, because I, as I say, I don't feel that he'll catch me on the ground. I, I, he's strong, he's got a couple of ones by TKO on the floor and things like that, and I'll respect him. He's got power in his hands, but I've had five fights at welterweight. He's had five fights around that weight as well, so he's not going to show me nothing that I haven't seen over the last ten years. I don't think. Um, if he beats me, all powered him You know that's why we're in the game. It's we're not here for. I'm certainly not here for easy fights. Like I'm here to prove myself and test myself. So if he beats me, all powered in. But it's going to take a good, good boy to beat me on the night. Like uh, that's uh, that's good. I like what you
0: said there. I don't what you said. Um, in terms of the um, promote, uh, promotions, uh, you've been in this sport for a long, long time. I mean,
1: yeah.
0: Even though you have not had any professional fights yet, but I mean, yeah. speaking with you, talking with you, just the kind of the sort of detailed answer you're giving me, I and people may bash me for saying this. Uh, your your team, your gym, they may bash me for saying this, for saying something that's completely incorrect. But I kind of feel that like you're you're a veteran
1: of the sport. Yeah. <laughs> Can I say that? Um, uh, that's no problem um, to be honest I, as I say I've been around this sport my whole adult life you know from a I started training at 16, 17 and I was in a room with grown men and this is back in the day when there was barely amateur wasn't really amateur it was you, know, you were still allowed in needle to the head like my second fight I was allowed in needle to the head and I've had to go back and regress my rules now you know we were allowed to elbow to the body and elbow to the legs whereas now in the last couple of fights I'm having to pay attention to the rules because I'm not allowed to knee, I'm not allowed, I'm allowed to needle a body, but I'm not allowed to needle a head. I'm not allowed to elbow at all. So there's been a, a big change and there's, I've been around for a lot of the sport. I've been around for a lot of sport locally, domestically and oh, as a fan. I've watched it grow and evolve into a sport in itself rather than just, let's just patch a taekwondo fighter against a boxer and let's patch a grappler against this guy and see who goes where. Mm-hmm. It's become a sport in itself. So I've watched the evolution of the sport and I've learned from the evolution of the sport and I'll try to integrate it into my game rather than just be a grappler rather than just go right well I'm high level grappler, I'm just gonna keep grappling I'm gonna try and grapple everybody a fight. It's right, you know you have an advantage in grappling, let's start rounding out the striking. Let's go down and I'm sparring my on a weekly basis, I'm sparring my world champions in boxing and kickbox well box sorry, kickboxing. I'm sparring my boxing coaches and different boxers that have had over two hundred fights. Um the the team that I have now around me, I have champions in kickboxing and boxing as well. There's a lot of high level grapplers in the room and you know my teammates Jordan O'Neill, for example, has four four belts across three weight classes in MMA. Blaine McGill's fighting for titles. We have a lot of more guys. Matthew Freed's fighting for titles every hour show. There's a lot of high-level guys around me, and there's been a lot of high-level guys around me since I'm 18, 19 years of age. So for me, I do feel I'm I'm a veteran of the sport in terms of as a fan and as a competitor and a practitioner. My record might not show it obviously because the volume of fights doesn't reflect the the amount of time I've been around it. That's due to, you know, different reasons of setbacks and different injuries, different things that have happened that I've had to take time out. You know, personal experiences and things, but this sport has always been a part of my life. You know, this sport has always been something I've always been trying to train and always trying to make myself better. So for me, I feel like I'm a veteran. I feel, that's what I mean by saying a veteran. I should say that I feel I'm too experienced to a lot of these guys that are coming up through. A lot of these guys may have you know double the fights that I have, but I've got double the amount of my time and the amount of times that I, years I've been around this sport in comparison to a lot of them, you know.
0: So, say in when you were fighting professionally, um, say in the next five, five to six years, yeah. Which of the big promot- promoters would you um like to join? I mean, I've asked some fighters this question before, and I think. I'm assuming many people will say, what well, the answer is yes, obvious. You want to go to the UFC. But many have actually surprised me and said, no, they'll actually really sit down and give this a good, meticulous think. Um, yeah. And then they'd uh, actually uh, make up their minds. But I mean, for you, which of the big names uh would you, which one of them would you like to join?
1: Yeah. I think, um, obviously, as you said, a lot of the people are going to, it's, it's the UFCs because of the way the UFC is sort of, it's, it's hand-in-hand hand with MMA. You know, there's a lot of people, even though the casuals will still say, oh, I watch UFC, but they're watching Bellator. They're watching or ones. They just they associate that with MMA. So as a child that grew up watching UFC, it would be obviously a dream come true to be able to say I fought in the UFC or I fight in the UFC. But for me, personally, I would take anyone that came knocking first. You know, if Bellator came, I would. The dream for me, the, the one that I would take, if all three came at the one time, and they all came and they matched the same average. I honestly believe that it would take one FC. I I just love the approach that one FC have to the sport because I grew up a martial artist. Like I grew up from karate. That's how I sort of learned. Me and my brother grew up from that sport. I might have two uncles that are karate black belts. You know, and as again, I came up through BJJ, and they have a lot of that side. I know that the Brazilian approach, obviously, with the dojo storming and things like this here, obviously, wasn't about respect and all. But there is that brutal lifestyle, there is that respect for your opponent when you step onto the mat and that's why I always bow to my opponents after fights and regardless of what sport I'm doing, it's I feel I'm a martial artist before I'm a fighter. You know, I'm here to fight, but I carry myself day to day as a martial artist. I'm trying to make myself better in sort of every facet of life. And I think one F C they do their best, they promote that sort of approach, they fight and there's a lot of I know there's a lot of fighters like Raw and guys that are a bit mouthed in the cage where they're they're you know, taunting. There's a lot of showmanship. There's okay. never really any malice or hostility, and there's not a lot of guys. There isn't that McGregor approach, you know. And I, that's what it's, I love the UFC. I love watching the big show. I love watching the guys that are fighting on it now, even like the young fighters like Ian and Ian Gary and different guys that are coming up through it. It's great to see, but Ian's doing his own thing in personality. Paddy Pumblit's doing his own thing in personality, and I think that's what's Attracting people to them, it's they're not following that McGregor model. When Conor got on the sport, Conor was genuinely. I've seen again. I've been around the sport a long time, and we used to be on old message boards before we had social media. And Conor McGregor was even used to be a loud mouth on them. You know, he was on taunting boys on them, and he was talking fights on them, and that's just who Conor is. Mm. But what happened then is a lot of people seen that as like, oh well, that's the way you make money in MMA. Like Colby, Colby changed his whole persona. Colby became that that villain, they became that heel, you know, and for me, that doesn't attract me to be in martial arts, you know, if a guy wants to go and he wants to start loud we can go all day, we can have them verbal wars, but regardless of whether you like it or not, it's your hands and your feet that do the talking when you get under that cage, it's your abilities that do the talking, so I would rather go to 1FC and have that martial arts approach and be appreciated by fans for a martial artist before being appreciated as a fighter, you know, looking at it like the, the old saying, like rather than just being a piece of meat, you know, rather they're gladiator. It's being pushed out to the day for the Coliseum. You know, as much as that as the epitome of what MMA is, it's modern day gladi- gladiatorism. I would see ONE FC as my the pinnacle of mixed martial arts. For mixed martial arts, you know.
0: I, I agree with everything you just said there. Um yeah. And your right, one won. Um, is it one championship or ONE FC but it's the same It's the same one
1: one fighting championship but i don't know what you mean when you say one championship or one out it's the same sort of thing
0: um you're right because over there i can see it's purely i mean everything to do there's purely to do but they put the sport first but i can see that in the over here in the uk and ireland and especially especially in the us you know the ufc it's heavily commercialized you got the fights, yeah. same to all the, the sponsorships, yeah. the ad deals, the ring girls, and just, uh, yeah. just more more glamorizing to the sport for the, for the added money and the extra bonus. I mean, when you say that you're not the sort of person that's, let's say, like like a Conor McGregor or someone who runs their mouth to just to hype up the fight to put more eyes and more attention on the event. I mean, you wouldn't like to do that, so because once you've done that, you do add more attention. So if you do win. Or whatever the outcome is, you do get a good um, payout to compensate for all whatever it is you the work at this point yeah. to preparing for the fights.
1: Hmm. For me, uh like uh, amongst my friends and stuff like that, my friends will say I'm a loudmouth, you know, i always joke and be the joker of the group, you know, always we always have banter and always slag at each other and you new know, different things. But in terms of fighting, I don't need to. I don't need to have any sort of extra fuel to fight here, or need to motivate myself through my words. It's the minute I get matchy that's the way I've always approached it anyway, and it's, I always have respect for my opponents, I always be respectful in the words I say, it, up until they disrespect me, you know, then it's all no holds barred, but the way I look at it is the minute I match for you is I hate you anyway, you know, and personally, and I'll, I'll, I don't need to say that to them, if yeah, yeah. they're, they're the reason that I can't eat the food that I want to eat, they're the no reason that I can't take a night off training because yeah. yeah. I'm sore or injured, or they're the reason I have to push through the injuries, they're the reason I have to do this, and, yeah. and I find all these reasons they hate them anyway, so I don't need to turn around then and like in a personal battle, where I'm starting to attack you, you know, I'm starting to, you know, get under your head or play mind games. It's just, I don't need mind games, you know. It's it's a physical game. If you're looking for that mental age, I feel there's a bit of insecurity in it. Again, if it's if that's naturally who you are, again, like Connor, as I say, I've watched him do it for years. It's just the way he is. But Connor was a master of it. Connor was a master of it because he backed it up and he wanted to back it up. The way I look at it again is, if I'm like if I'm sitting there and somebody pops up and they want to start talking. They want to keep talking back and forth and especially in a public forum. I'm obviously going to reply. I'm obviously going to try and do my best then to be like, right, well, if you want to do this then the gloves are off. We can talk them if you want to talk and I'm one of the best talkers about. But for me, it's I'd rather be known as a better fighter and a martial artist because at the end of the day, I'm trying to leave a legacy as well and yeah. the last thing I want to do is set an example of, right, well, you have to be a low mouse to be a fighter you, know, especially, you see it a lot, a lot of times now at the younger levels you know, the, the lower levels of MMA especially those last couple of years when Connor was doing what he was doing there was a lot of guys coming through and they are posting on Facebook and posting on Instagram Well, oh, I'm the best there is and I'm fucking this and I'm that it's like man, chill out you've got two fights you know, just relax yourself and do what you have to do get your fight done don't need to talk There's all these boys this belt is mine and I'm coming for our belt and it's like man, it's an amateur show Relax yourself, you know, and that's yeah. the way I look at it myself. Again, yeah. if boys want to make a personal, I can talk with you no bother. I'm there to talk with you when to talk that way. But in terms of having respect for my opponents, that's the way I've always been brought up, and that's the way I've always learned through the sport. My example was have respect for your opponents because again, bottom line, without your opponent, you wouldn't have a fight, and without your sparring partners, you don't have training. Without the guys standing across the cage, then you don't have a chance to make your legacy. So I don't have a reason. I don't. I don't have a want or a need. to attack you mm-hmm. personally. As I say, if if they want to talk, then
0: we can talk like. See, someone like yourself, after having this conversation with and listening to how you speak, what you say, um, you're a very rare sort of, um, breed in the sport. Yeah. yeah. You keep, you keep the, uh, the brutality in the cage. Once it's over, whether you win, whether you lose, it's done. You move on. You don't have to keep name calling and talking and so uh, too much yeah. bullshitting, if you know what I mean.
1: No, that's okay. The way, the way I look at it is like if if I'm if I was standing on a bar, if I was walking down the street, then if somebody t- starts talking shit to me, then he knows what he wants. You know, that's that's hostility, that's genuine hostility. So I'm not gonna let that go just because I've had a fight with him or be you know, thrown a three pun- a few punches. So that's the way I would be in the cage. You know, if if you only talk shit before a fight, then I'm gonna do my best to take your head off and then after a fight I'm gonna talk shit about how I took your head off because you were rolling your mouth. It would just, to me, it would just light a fire under me. If somebody had done that, it would just give me an all reason to go on and try and brutalise you as much as I can. My aim is to go on and finish fights. My aim, I always come on with a saying that I'm either coming out of my shield or I'm coming out with it. You know, and it's that old Spartan saying, it's I'm I'm dying in there if I need to, and it's about finishing the fight. Yeah. i to go on to finish the fight or be finished. So if you want to add that extra fuel to the fire of right, well, I have to go on out and I have an even bigger reason to go out and take his boy's head off or punch his boy's head under the ground, and that's the last thing you want to do. It's already a hard enough fight for most amateurs. They fight me, never mind someone that's going to give me that extra motivation of on their mouth. Good, I love that.
0: <laughs> uh, one last um, point, uh, question I'd like to ask you because I know you said yeah. you you are going to go to the gym to train later on. Um, Jake Paul and Logan Paul, and people <laughs> will bash me for asking this question, but uh, yeah. especially Jake Paul. Let me start by asking, do you take do you take them seriously, seriously especially Jake Paul?
1: I'd say as a boxer, again, whether well, people like it or not, he's been training. You know, and I would say he's been training just as hard as a lot of professionals have over the last couple of years. Um, Jake Paul in a, a very advantageous position where he has the money. They go out and afford that lifestyle where he can. That's the thing about money these days with YouTubers is they're able to just click their fingers and go, I, go, I want to be a boxer. I'm going to take the next year, and I'll be financially stable regardless of what happens, and I can go train twice a day in the gym. I can get the best trainers in America. I can get the best physicians, best nutritionists, and have become a, at some level of professional boxing. Now, whether well or not they reach the top, whether well or not they reach the levels that they, they believe that they can, that's another thing. But what I will say is a lot of these people that talk to them, a lot of these people, that disrespect them, are 90% of these people have never made that walk themselves. 90% of the people that talk that talk don't even step and wouldn't even step on a gym. Wouldn't even make them move from the sofa to the gym rather than the gym under the ring. And that's what I would always say is you know, I'll be people all the things. I work the door as a pointer and a lot of the guys, even my friends and stuff, you know, a lot of my friends you know, are respectful because they've been around the sport themselves a lot of the time. But there are a few people that I know that would stand and go, oh, well, he's this and he's that and he's a poser and it's like, man, whether you like it or not, he's on the gym putting on the work. You know, and for boxing, they're putting on the work. I honestly believe and George or Smith said this, is well, whoever they fight in Max Marshalls, I do think they get smoked. I just don't think they have the, the all round game now.
0: Okay, so you were saying about um uh, Jake Paul and Logan Paul, despite we may what people may think of them, they're in the gym yeah. putting in the work and let's get they're putting in the work and I suppose it's having some results, maybe not not necessarily the results that they want
1: or other people mm-hmm. want. No, it's that um As you said, with unboxing, they're doing what they can do. I know the two of them have their their uh. Would you say they have backgrounds in wrestling? And I'm nearly sure it's in the state of Ohio. And Ohio is a really, really high-level state for wrestling. Now, if you're if you're coming out of Ohio as a wrestler, then you know it's it's a really good place to be. So maybe they could make waves with an MMA. But I just feel that Boxing's a lot more—it's a lot more straightforward for them, you know. If you dedicate a year to becoming a boxer, and as I say, when they have the money that they do, where they're able to hire the top coaches and just train all day, every day, top nutritionists, get a sort of made around them, they love that pro lifestyle. Then you can understand why you can see the improvements within Jake's game and Logan's game, you know. Um, even fair play, Like I know, I was Mayweather's nowhere near what he was, and he wasn't going anywhere near him, but. Logan Paul shared a ring with Floyd Mayweather. There's not many men in the world can say they've done that. You know, Jay Paul knocked out Tyron Woodley. Now, well or not, people think it's a dive. He still knocked out Tyron Woodley. And again, there's not many people in the world. There's not even many people in mixed martial arts, the top level of mixed martial arts, can say that they knocked out Tyron Woodley. So you have to give him that ounce of respect. Personally, I don't like them because obviously I come from the background of having to put their nose to the grindstone. and Exactly. Yeah. well. Again, as a martial artist, I have to respect the fact that one, they're doing the work in the gym, and two, they're getting under the ring. It's something a lot of people ninety-five, ninety-nine percent of the people in the world don't really do. Step up, and you can sort of I have to respect them in that sense. Right. well, you,
0: you, the answer you just said there about put, um, uh, yeah, but they don't, you don't particularly like them as individuals. Because they haven't necessarily put the work in to at least build up their name them, to build up their brand in the same in in the in terms of combat sports. Yeah. They, haven't, done they that.
1: haven't they haven't gone through the normal moods. You know, a lot of these guys they get to pro boxing for example, you know, there's pro boxers in the town that I'm from that I know. Guys are fighting on Commonwealth games, guys are fighting they're fighting in the back fucking hole of nowhere, you know, fight, fighting nobodies. and even when they turn professional, they're having to take eight, nine, ten fights Against guys, that journeymen, for example, before their names even out there, whereas these guys can click their finger and they can draw millions of eyes and draw millions of points in pay per view, comparing to, as I say, normal, normal fighters, not even normal fighters, good professional fighters that have been out busting their ass for the last 10, 15 years, boys that have dedicated their life, they get even an ounce of what them guys have, you know?
0: You see, that's the problem that I have. That that that's really the just the only problem I've got. I mean, yeah, that's the way that they are, especially Jake Paul, and you know, I I can't stand where, by, like you, the point you're making earlier, those who talk a lot, who run their mouths so much, that's that's what he's known for, or what they're known yeah. for, and that's what I can't stand. It it brings much attention to any of event they're going to be involved in, uh, particularly in boxing. And what I can't stand is that they're going to get all of that reward, money and exposure. And you haven't really done the work like the other um, names, Canelo, um, uh, Fury. Um, yeah. and, you, know, you haven't done, you done the um, brutal. You haven't put your nose to the ground. You haven't really put the work and you haven't put the blood and sweat and tears in yeah, like everybody a... else has. It's, mm-hmm. It just seems so unfair and annoying.
1: Oh, I don't know. I say I don't think they could do the same if they came to mixed martial arts. I think if they came to mixed martial arts, if they fought anybody, it's sort of season with them. For example. Jake Paul and Tyra Mooley fight in mixed martial arts, I think, although Tyra Mooley dropped off towards the end of his career, I think it's a completely different fight. Once you add in kicks, once you add in that rest, zone, all the variables of mixed martial arts, even within a cage, mm-hmm. becomes a different sport. Uh, I heard Anthony Smith talking about the fact that if it's within boxing, Jake Paul stands a lot better chance against Conor McGregor than he does in mixed martial arts, because if Conor gets the kick, it will kick, it will completely kick the shit out of Jake Paul. It doesn't even need to be grappling. and Jake Paul may think he's a wrestler, but Connor again, it's not like Connor's not been wrestling for the last fucking 10 years, like he's been doing wrestling and grappling. he's a brown belt in BJJ. So, in terms of mixed martial arts, a lot of these guys in the sport that they're in now, mixed martial arts, it's, its own sport. You know, it's, it's not a case of you can become a boxer and then go into the one or the other. Guys like Usman and stuff trying to talk into that Kanao kind of fight, it's obviously, see, it's obvious to see it's for money. Yeah, you know, yeah, would, yeah. you know, even at our levels you know, I, I wouldn't turn around now and try and challenge a boxer on the domestic scene in a boxing match he knows the game, he knows the ring he knows how to do the point system he knows how to score, you know, that's the way you need to look at it never mind when you get to the pinnacle of sport do you believe that I could knock one of them out obviously I do because that's me as having self belief as a fighter but again, a boxer is going to believe that he's going to wipe the fucking map with me and then if it's Max martial arts then it's no question Max martial arts is own sport mm.
0: No, it has been a pleasure speaking with you and um, I've actually learned so much more just by conversating with you. Yeah. Um is there anyone you want to give a shout out to? Friends, family, sponsors, your gym?
1: Um well obviously friends and family and my girlfriend and my gym as well, combat. Uh, we have a lot of good guys coming through. Um expect a big year for a lot of guys and then obviously the old sponsors from the last fight again, a you know, Mark official who made the T shirts, uh Footless Factory who was gym. Um we have Bentley Bar, Jordan Cochran, his sports massage therapy, Deke's Barbers. um we have an R few as well. I'm trying to hit Grande's coffee truck and I think there's one more as well, probably missing, but again, thanks to all my sponsors and everybody that supports me. Um hopefully again when we get more support this time and this, this is a big fight in terms of prestige we can want a belt and things so I'm here to represent and I'm here to make a bit
0: of noise you Sure, I'll leave the links to all those brands and names in the description section below for YouTube, yeah. and also on Instagram for when I'm promoting this on the, my social media as well.
1: Perfect, yeah. Sure. Thank thanks you well. so much
0: for coming on, so uh, definitely looking forward to seeing you stepping into the cage on June the 4th, and definitely I'm sure I'll be having you back on the show at some point. 100%, thanks very much. Thank you. you. Alright, pleasure man. Take care.